You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. About ten and a half years ago, um, I was finishing up an inspection. I was a home inspector, and, and uh, so I was finishing up the inspection. I had a, my uh, co-worker with me, and phone call. Well, it was from my wife. I looked down. I, it was from Julie. And uh, Julie, she knew where I was. And so I knew that if she called me while I was on inspection, it was important. So I picked up the phone. And my wife says, hey, uh, broke. So I immediately went into, okay, I can get done here. I can get home. I can be there in 20 minutes. And Julie says, oh, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm almost to the hospital. I just got in the car and left. <clears throat> That's my wife, Wonder Woman. So, so I said, okay. So I immediately after that, I thought, okay, well, I've got to fight, figure out a way, get done with this inspection quickly and get out of here. And so I was at the, at the end anyways, so I wrapped up quickly we loaded up the car, and Mark and I hopped in the, in the van and headed off. Now, before I got in the car, I, I took a second to take a deep breath, and I just said, okay, Julie's fine. There's no reason to go crazy. Keep it under 100, and just calm. I got in the car, and we started down the road. And I was going quicker than normal, but I was keeping it cool. In fact, to the point where I was sitting there and I was kind of reveling in how good I was doing because I hadn't passed on the shoulder yet and I had kept it under 100 and I was, I was doing pretty good. But Mark broke the silence and he says, hey, um, do you mind if I pray for us? I thought, Mark is such a great guy. He is praying for my kid that's coming and Julie, ah, oh. What a great guy. No, he prayed for our journey on the way there. And when I opened my eyes and looked over it, well, I, I had my eyes open. When I, when I looked over at him afterwards, I realized that he was white-knuckling the, the grab bar on the side, and his face was just white with terror. <clears throat> Why do I tell you that story? Well, today is uh, my first time preaching up here, uh, here. So, when you look over and you see Pastor Joel white-knuckling the chair in front of him, <laughs> you go ahead and just pray for him. So, so we've already been talking about earlier <laughs> that we're going to continue the conversation uh, in Ephesians. Now, earlier in Ephesians, the first three chapters, we've been covering um, what a life looks like that is filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're actually going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to shift into practical application. Okay, so now we're living that life as uh, filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that work in our lives? So, specifically, um, Paul is actually jumping into, in the, in the verses we're going to look at today, he's specifically talking about how does that look in the scope of unity within the church, so that's our frame of reference. And where Paul uh, was coming from is he's speaking to a group of people 
primarily made up, a church primarily made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, if you know anything about the Jews and Gentiles, historically, not great friends, okay? They didn't hang out together very often, if at all. They didn't speak to each other, if at all. Um, These were not people that you saw um, together. And yet, here in Ephesians, and, and much of the church, uh, letters, and, and they're speaking to groups of these people that are together, making up the church. Here, Jews and Gentiles are worshiping together, they're eating together, they're living in a community together, and that's who he's talking to. And so this group of people, when they, they first got together, it, it would have been really just amazing. But over time, given enough time, and it happens here, anywhere, Given enough time, there's going to come a conflict. It's going to happen. And so what Paul's doing is that he is now working on giving them some key, uh, just helpful tidbits to help them uh, resolve those conflicts. Now, 2,000 years later, we really haven't changed an awful lot. We have found an awful lot of ways to bring up conflict within the church. Um, you can look at uh, how many denominations there are. There's lots of conflict that has happened within the church. And so all of this stuff still applies today. Now, speaking of conflict, there's a, a, a survey done by Christianity Today. And they found that 85% of all church conflict is a result of power struggles and just personal rifts. 85%. I thought when I went into it that there has to be some doctrinal stuff in there that's causing some rifts. And there are. But it's less than 15%. 85% are, are power struggles and personal differences. That's an incredible study. Now, to kind of illustrate that, there was a Twitter survey done, and twi- out on Twitter they put out there, if you've had major conflict in your church or even a split in your church, what was the cause? So I picked out a few for you to enjoy, okay? A decision to remove a clock from the worship center. Huge. An elder meeting argument that led to a fist fight over the color and amount of drawers of a file cabinet. That must have been healthy. An argument over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. A petition to put out, uh, a petition was put out for all church staff to be clean shaven. The church budget was off by 10 cents. These are real. Like, can you believe that? Church, uh, someone had purchased cran grape juice instead of grape for communion. Throw them out. <laughs> the decision to purchase a weed eater for the church, whether, whether to serve deviled eggs at the church picnic, <laughs> and a split over which brand of coffee to use during the, uh, the break. Um, those are kind of funny but they're really sad. And so it's obvious that we still go through a lot of conflict um, in our churches today. 
So let's dive in. We can acknowledge that that conflict is there. And so let's dive in and see what Paul has to say about it. We're going to read first in Ephesians. We're going to read starting in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of grace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that's our scripture that we're going to base everything off of today. We're going to hit a few other scriptures as we go, but this is where we're going to camp out. Now, in the first part of the verse, we can actually see where Paul says, walk worthy of our calling. That was one of the first ones when I opened up this scripture and I read that, that was one of those first ones that jumped down at me. And I thought, walk worthy of our calling. Well, what's our calling? What are we supposed to walk worthy of? And so I, I thought, well, maybe that's uh, our job. You know, we've been called to work at a specific place, or maybe it's in, as a homemaker, uh, you know, that's your place. That's where God has placed you. Maybe it's as a pastor, you know, God's placed me here. That, that's a calling. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think that's what they had in, what Paul had in mind here. And so I went to 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is our calling. Yes, you've been placed in a place for your, your job. Yes, you've been placed in the home as a homemaker. Yes, I've been placed here uh, on staff as, as, as a pastor. And those are callings. But overarching that whole thing is the calling of all of us. You are an ambassador for Christ. What's that mean? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, from any country is always conscious of the fact that he has a tremendous responsibility because he is the representative by whom his country is going to be judged. We're here in Olmstead Falls right now, and there, just looking out over the crowd, we're, we're representing a lot of different cities around us here. As we go out, we are representing Christ. So this is the calling that Paul is talking about. In everything that we do, in our interactions, and in our conflict, everything that happens, we represent God. And so that brings a, a, a solemn note to this. Um, it, it tells us that, listen, we're going to talk about unity. And when we talk about unity, you have got to understand the impact that you have. It's not just you, you and that other person that you're having conflict with. It's noticeable by everyone around. We're representing God in this community that he has placed us as ambassadors. That's a key component that we all need to understand. Now, one of the things that I, I found in, in Harvard Business Review, 
They wrote, civil rights protesters were able to attract mainstream support even as they defied authority. They showed up well-dressed, spoke to the police and other authority figures respectfully, and eschewed violence. That's what allowed those outside the movement to identify and admire them. When we are unified together, people notice. Not only do they take notice, people want to be a part of it. That's our calling. We're ambassadors for Christ, and how we do this will allow people to see Christ in us and want to be a part of it. So he then goes on and he starts to lay the foundation for our unity. And at first, when I read it, it sounded really confusing. So we're talking about verses four through six. And um, so you go through and he just starts, and one God and one faith and one, and you just kind of go, okay, what's that mean? Well, let me read it from the Message Bible. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction to stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. So Paul is speaking to a church that is diverse. Remember, we already talked about the fact that they're mixed uh, with Jews and Gentiles. Here, we have a mix of Ohio State fans and Michigan fans. And so when we look at that and we think about going, okay, well, we're just, we're just different. We're all just too different. How's this going to work? When we look at the foundation, no matter where we are, either here today or in, well, we had visitors from Nebraska this morning, their church at home, you know, churches down south, there's, there's family members everywhere. And so when we think about that, and you think about this unity, how do we bring it all together? Well, every single one of those people in all of those, those places have a commonality with us. We all have one Savior. We all were saved by that one Savior. We all get to go to heaven because of that one Savior. We all worship one God. There's already unity. And what's interesting about this is in the verses, Paul doesn't say, I want you to create unity. He says, I want you to maintain unity. The unity is already there. The unity is in the one Savior, the one God the one that we worship. Now, the, the other things that we have to keep in mind is that um, the church itself is made up of a variety of different people. All right. So most of you, I've talked to several of you already. You had Thanksgiving with your family. And uh, if your family is anything like mine, it's a wonderful mix of people from all walks. Some are rich, some are poor, some are just outlandishly loud, and some are quiet. 
and some have great opinions and don't some other you know don't share any opinions at all and some are right in the middle somewhere and that's what makes up our families right but we're all family we're all family. And that's what I love about my family. I, I love getting together with them because it's just crazy chaos. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just great. And that's what our church family is. It's just a group of people that we come together and we just love each other for who we are, our differences. And so Paul actually starts going into characteristics of the church. When we're talking about resolving conflict, there are some very specific characteristics that are needed to, to address that. The first characteristic that he talks about is actually grouped together. There's two of them. There's humility and there's gentleness. I want to do a, a quick exercise. Think with me. Um, if you think of a scale, and on one end you've got, uh, I am super, super humble. On the other end, not humble at all. All right? And we'll just say 1 to 10. All right? Where are you at? Don't say it out loud. Where are you at? Now, if you're like most people, you're going to think in your head, well, if I say that I'm super humble, people are going to go, um, yeah, no. On the other hand, you don't want to say that I'm not humble at all because that just looks bad. So I'm going to go right in the middle, plant myself there. If you're like me, that's what I did. I, was, I thought about that for a couple seconds, and I thought, ah, I'm going to go right in the middle there just so it, it's okay. And then I realized that I missed the point altogether. And I want to illustrate this by uh, reading this uh, quote. Donald Trump once said in an interview, and I looked it up, it's really there. I am much more humble than you think. There you go. All right, so when we think of the the words of humility, what is humility? Does Donald Trump seem like the person, and I'm not going down a political road. Please don't allow me to go down there with you in your mind. Is he the picture of humility? I want to submit to you that there's a possibility that he's not wrong. And you're going to wonder how in the world I'm going to get there. Okay, let me read you a verse. Do nothing, this is Philippians 2, 3 and 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, I have no idea where Donald Trump sits in this whole thing, and I I really don't want to go down there, but there's a possibility that um, he does think more of others than himself. And that is what true humility is. True humility is recognizing um, that when I enter into a conflict, that you're caring about that person more than you're caring about yourself. That is humility. It's not just thinking that you're a terrible or lowly person. It's just thinking more of the other person. So, uh, along with that, or coupled with that, is gentleness. Now, my son is, is 10, and uh, he's getting big. Uh, when we wrestle or goof off, there's a good chance that I'm going to catch a knee to the ribs, or I'm going to get hurt. 
And so anymore, as he's getting older, I'm a little more cautious about how I wrestle with, with Grady. And it's because he has no idea the strength that he has within him. True gentleness isn't about weakness. It's about recognizing the strength that you have and then moderating it for the scenario or the situation you're in. So if I walk into a situation and and it calls for just a a gentle hand and I just come in and I blast somebody away, that's not what that's all about. Sometimes you do need extra strength. Sometimes you do need to step into it a little bit harder. But it's always that moderation of knowing the situation and knowing how much strength is actually needed in that situation. The next area that he talks about is patience. If you'll allow me, I'm going to tell you a fable, uh, and it is completely made up. You'll understand that here shortly. So, uh, but there's a good point to it at the end. There was a man who was a, a follower of God. He loved God, and he tried to please him in every way that he could. One night, there was a knock on his door, and he opened the door, and there was a visitor there that he'd never met before, and he was hungry. He asked for some food, and so being the good Christian that he was, he invited him in for a meal. He fed him the meal, and they had a nice conversation, which eventually led to a conversation about spiritual things. He asked the visitor, do you worship God? And the visitor said, you know what? No, I don't really believe in God which led down a really nasty road and they had a discussion and well more of an argument and he threw him out of the house. Well, a few minutes later, there was another knock on the door. And so he went to the door and he opened it and there was God standing there. And he only asked, hey, where'd your visitor go? He said, well, I didn't agree with him so I threw him out. And so God said to him, I've kind of been working on that guy for 80 years. You only had one night, and you threw him out. So patience is uh, giving the right amount of time. And, And in 2 Peter 3 and 9, it says, The Lord is slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should remain uh, be." reach repentance. Can I ask you how patient has God been with you? God has been extremely patient with me. God is still extremely patient with me. And so when I look at how patient God has been with me, how can I not but extend that same patience to my brothers and my sisters that are in my family. He loves us so deeply and he's patient with our junk. We can be too. So as we run into our conflict and we run into that stuff, please be patient with each other. The next thing that he talks about is bearing with each other in love. Um, I uh, I had the opportunity to do some 
personality testing and training over the last several years. Um, I've done a, several of them, if you've ever heard of them. There's the DISC survey, there's SDI training, there's um, uh, Josiah has, there's one that's his favorite. He's not here right now. Um, it's a great survey. There's lots of great surveys out there. I want to talk to you about uh, SDI. So SDI does this, uh, and I'm going to give you the sky high view of it because it's a lot more detailed than this. But it does this personality training uh, or testing. And what they have said or what they've found is that every single person on the planet falls into one of three groups or kind of a mixture of those three groups. So I'm going to walk you through the three different groups. And you're going to start to recognize that you probably fall into one of these specific groups. In fact, I'm quite sure of it. Um, some people may not actually know where they fall, but with a little more help, you, you can find that out. But let me just kind of clarify them for you. Group one, this is the red group. They do everything by color coding. The red group are those people that go, there's a hill. We're going to conquer that hill. We're going to take that hill right now. Come on, who's with me? That's the red group, okay? So you can look around and you can see people around here that you could probably classify just immediately red, okay? So that's red. The next group is the green group. Now, the green group, they look at that hill, and they've just heard the red guy go, let's take that hill. And the green group says, um, we're not really prepared for that. How much food are we going to need? Have you got a plan? Like, what are we going to do? Like, what's our first day going to look like? What's our second day going to look like? And they've got it all documented in, in Excel, and it's beautiful. Now, the last group is the blue group. The blue group, they heard the red person go, let's charge up the hill, and they go, yeah, but how's everybody feel about that? Are you good with that? And so they're all about the people and how they, are, are they going to be okay? And so those are the three different groups. Now, like I said, you can be kind of a mixture, but generally speaking, you're going to fall into one of those three groups. Now, what's important about that is recognizing that each one of those groups thinks differently each and every one. So the red group, they are all about the challenge. We're going to win this. And, you know, the green group is all about the, you know, the lay out the best plans. And then the, the people group, who, who's going to be affected by this? They don't speak the same language. And so when you sit there and you talk about um, you go into conflict with somebody and you're in conflict with a red person and you're a green, yeah, you're speaking English, but you're not talking the same language. He doesn't understand where you're coming from. And so there's always that possibility that when we've got this big family, that's what church is, it's a family, that you've got this big family, there's always that possibility that you just don't understand where the other person's coming from. So how do we deal with that? Well, we bear with each other. Okay, We recognize we're different. We enjoy the differences. That's one thing that I've really loved lately is seeing people that actually, they know that they're, uh, I'm going to use the terms, they know that they're a red or they know that they're a green and they just, that's who they are. And they're healthy about it. But I just love that about them. Um, there's a, a few people here that we're so 
we're so blessed here at Hope with people that have stepped into their gifts and have helped out. People that are greens, that just love numbers and love all that stuff. Well, that's how all our books get done. You know, that's how all that stuff happens. And, you know, the work that needs to get done and people that are charging the way to get that done. We need all of those people here in the church. But when you have all those people, there's that conflict or potential for conflict. And so we, uh, we need to bear with each other. Now, what's interesting about this is Paul actually says, bear with each other in love, which adds a whole different dimension. So we have two kids, a boy and a girl, who absolutely adore each other at all times. No, they don't. (laughs) And uh, so there are times when you're just like, okay, knock it off. You guys need to make up. Give your brother a hug. And what you will witness is the coldest hug you've ever seen in your entire life. So that's not what we're talking about. They're bearing with each other, sure, because we told them to. But bearing with each other with love looks totally different. How's that look for you? I don't know. But it it might be a good question to ask. Pastor Joel had talked earlier um, about that comes to mind. How's that look for you, for that person? I would submit to you that I love the idea of taking that person with you into the throne room. Uh, Pastor Joel said that this morning. I love that idea. How do you walk into the throne room and claim, you know, and complain about somebody because they don't like the choice, you know, the, the color car you bought or something? How do you walk in and complain about that? You can't. So go to go in prayer. All right, one of the last ones is the eagerness to maintain unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. We don't tell our kids when we're going on vacation. I know it sounds weird, but we just don't. Mainly because it's for our sanity. Because If we told our kids that we're going to Florida in a month, they will literally pack today. And then they're going to ask me every single day when we're leaving. That is eagerness. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about unity. The eagerness to create or maintain the unity within the church. How eager are you to maintain? Is it important to you? Are you making effort, every effort to, to maintain unity in the church. So I want to kind of give you a few, help you with the unity in the church. Several of them are actually found in Romans 14. So the first one is, is 14 and 4. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Verses 12 and 13, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. We have a, a really nasty habit in the church in general of judging each other. And scripture would teach us that that is not what we should be doing. Now, I will clarify, there are other scriptures that would tell you that we judge sin in the, in the church. 
but not personal differences and personal opinions and things like that. That's not what we're talking about. And it goes uh, further in Romans 14.22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Is this the Bible being really kind and saying, shut your mouth? Possibly. There are times when we just need to not speak. And so there's, we have to use wisdom to know when that is. And, and I know that God will provide that wisdom. Now, Philippians 2 and 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's just going back to unity. Be of the same mind. How do we take all of this information about being humble and gentle? How do we take patience? How do we take the bearing with each other? How do we become eager to maintain? All of these things to create oneness, the sad thing is we might be able to fake it for a little while, but eventually it's just, it's just not going to work. Here's the key. The it factor. We've been talking about the it factor all the time uh, or the last several months. And the it factor is just about the Holy Spirit living in us, dwelling in us, and us actually searching out what the Holy Spirit would have to say on the matter. So I want to close by telling you a story about how this might actually look uh, in the church. In World War II, in Germany, there was a brotherhood church. Now, the word came down that Adolf Hitler had said, all churches must unite into one church, and I am the head of the church. Now, that is not something that uh, you ever want to hear. And the members of the church, they came together and they met, and some of the church said, you know what, it's Adolf Hitler, we've already seen what he can do. Uh, We kind of got to just take the hit well then there was the other member, members of the church and they said we just can't do this we can't do this it's dishonoring to God we cannot do this so there was a split what happened after that the, the ones that went the way of, of Adolf Hitler they were safe they were protected the ones that didn't without uh, without uh, Well, every single family lost at least one family member to a concentration camp or persecution. Every single one. Now, fast forward a couple years, the war's over, and now they want to bring this church back together. But now we've got this horrible, just horrible rip down the center. On one hand, we have family members that have lost you know, their, their sons and their daughters and their husbands and their wives. They've been persecuted. Their wealth has been taken away from them. They've been destroyed. On the other hand, we have a group of people that felt immense guilt. They felt less than. Have you ever felt less than? So how are we going to take these two groups of people and make them of one mind. 
Well, the elders of the church, they decided, well, well let's bring everybody together. We'll have a, a two-day conference. So everybody came, and they, ha- they, they got ready for the two-day conference. They, they were told to come with their grievances, and they would air them out, and they would work their way through. When they arrived, the elders said, listen, I know that you're probably ta- thinking that we we're just going to but we're not going to. The first whole day is going to be devoted to you individually going and seeking uh, guidance and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Go pray, read scripture. That's it. That's all we're doing today. Go do it. And they did. They went and they read scripture. They prayed and they sought God's wisdom in this situation, this horrible situation. And the next day they came together. And you know what happened is they did air their grievances. They did talk about the the things they needed to talk about. But their hearts were changed. They saw their brother across the aisle. And they saw the love that God had for them. And you know that everything just, by lunch, the stuff was solved. The church was unified again. What seemed absolutely impossible was done by the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the key to this whole thing. Without the Holy Spirit, we're just going to fail. So, when we're wandering the halls and we do find ourselves in conflict, it's, it's going to happen at some point or another. But when we're wandering the halls and we find ourselves there, our first action, our first action is always run to the Holy Spirit. Seek His wisdom seek his guidance, ask for his help, ask for patience, ask for gentleness, humility. He is willing and wants to give you those. Those are actually fruits of the Spirit, by the way. So if you want them, ask for them. He'll give them to you. They're there. So the unity of the church it's possible and we can all have it let's pray God thank you that you love us thank you that you love us in spite of who we are and our baggage that we bring and our personalities that we bring to the table sometimes overwhelmingly sometimes we don't say enough and Lord thank you for being able to work with all of us. Thank you that you have unified us into one body, into one church, your church, Lord. And we just ask that as we leave this building, that you would remind us that we are ambassadors today and that you will allow us to take out your word, that you would allow us to show people your love and practice the unity within this church so we can shine for everybody around us. Lord, thank you for all these things. We pray them in Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.